Happy Sabbath once again. I want to welcome you to Recycled Grace. We took a little pause for a little bit, but we are back. Now, I've already gone through two, two sermons on Recycled Grace, and this is week number three. And by God's grace, and if he gives me life, I'm planning to go for at least another five weeks. Uh, we are going through the book of Judges. Basically, the book of Judges says like this. Your mess, I can handle it. Your situation, I can take care of it. It may look bad, but because I'm God and nothing is impossible for me, I'm able to take what is impossible for you and turn it around and make it into something that is possible. So if you are finding yourself in a situation where you're struggling, uh, you are discouraged, you don't know what to do. The book of Judges is specifically for you and it is my prayer that you are able to experience the grace of God yes I've called it recycled grace because no matter how many times I fall no matter no matter how many times you fall no matter how many times you go through situations that you scratch your head and you disappointed you're disappointed in the grace of God is still available for you now the grace of God is not simply supposed to be recycled because God is that gracious but the grace of God is supposed to transform us and translate us into who Jesus is. Now, if the grace of God is not changing you, it is not making you better. It is my belief that you have bought yourself cheap grace. So I want to get into today's sermon because I don't have a lot of time. Uh, and I'm picking it up from Judges chapter 3 and verses 1 to 6. Uh, if you have your Bibles, please flip there, turn there. I want you to get in the word with me this morning, because if it's not in the word, it doesn't deserve to be heard. Hallelujah, somebody. If it's not in the word, it doesn't deserve to be heard. Judges chapter three and verse number one, the word of God says, and just before I read, uh, just to give you a little context, this these words or this text is given to us because of God's reaction to Israel failing to finish his business. I talked about this in the first sermon. You can go back on, on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify to understand what I meant in unfinished business. Verse number one says, Now these are the nations which the Lord left, that he might test Israel by them, that is, all who had not known any of the wars in Canaan. This was only so that the generations of the children of Israel might be taught to know war. At least those who had not formally known it. Namely, the five lords of the Philistines, or the Canaanites, and the Sidonians, and the Havites, who dwelt in Mount Lebanon from Mount Baal Hermon to the entrance of Hamath. And they were left. I said it, they were left that he might test Israel by them uh, to know whether they would obey the commandments of the Lord, which he had commanded their fathers by the hand of Moses. Thus, the children of Israel dwelt among the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Havites, and the Jebusites. And they took their daughters to be their wives and gave their daughters to their sons and they served their gods. For a preaching title this morning, Waging a Holy War. 
waging a holy war. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, speak, O God. Amen. A little boy was told by his mother to do a chore. And the little boy turned to his mother and says to her, I don't want to do that, Ma. So the father took the little boy aside and he said to the little boy, he says, son, you have to teach me how to do that. I want to know how to be able to say no to your mother. Son, you have to teach me how to do that because I want to learn how to say no to your mother. You see, the father was craving an experience that the son had. He wanted to learn how to be able to have the courage to be able to stand up to his mother and, and tell her no in certain things. You see, I believe that at a fundamental level, all of us crave experience. We can hear about it. We can see it. But unless we touch it, unless we taste it, unless we go through it, it will simply remain a theory. I believe that it's, it's, it's good to go to school. It is good to learn books. But unless you apply the theory that you know, it hasn't become real yet. I believe that all of us have an experience, or not an experience, but we have a theory. We have a, we have a knowledge about, about God. We, we, we have heard about him. We know stories of biblical men and women who God inspired and impacted. But the question is, do you and I have the same experience? The question is, is God real to us the same way he was real to Elisha? Oh, Joshua. You see, the design of the text that we read today is stressing the concept of having an experience with God. There is a new generation that has risen up in Israel. This generation is not like the generation of Joshua. They did not see the, 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 the works of God. They didn't see God uh, throw down plagues on Egypt. They didn't see God part waters and, and then walk on dry ground. They didn't see God uh, level the walls of Jericho. They had only heard about it. God was a, a relic of the past, not a reality of the present. And I'm wondering this morning if for some of us, God is not a relic of the past and not a reality of the present. I'm wondering if sometimes when we're asking questions, why are my prayers not being answered? I'm wondering if we're not asking that question because God is a relic of the past. I'm wondering when we're asking the question, why am I going through this? Why is God not hearing me? I'm wondering if God is not a relic of the past. I'm wondering when we say, how come the miracles of the past are not happening in this present moment? I'm wondering if God is not a relic of the past. Sometimes I believe that God appears unreal. God appears irrelevant. God appears replaceable. 
And that is we have a theoretical knowledge of God. But an experiential knowledge of God I think is a little bit distant from us. I don't know if this situation describes you. That for a long time you don't understand why things are working the way they are working out. And, and you're looking at your faith. And you're looking at your experience. And you're wondering, God, where are you? God, how come I don't see you moving and activating yourself in my life? God, how come what you did for Israel, you're not doing it for me? God, Jesus walked on water. Peter walked on water. Why am I drowning in my troubles and my struggles and my situations? God, I don't understand why I can't get ahead. God, I don't understand why I'm, all, I'm always at the back of the line. God, I don't understand why I'm still sick. God, I don't understand why I still have issues at home. God, I don't understand where are you? I'm wondering if God is not a relic of the past and not a reality of the present. Now you see, God understood that the new generation that had risen up saw him as a relic of the past. So what he needed to do was to help them to see that he was a reality of the present. And so what God did is he left the nations in the land. So that he could give his people an opportunity for him, for them to know how he works. And you see this idea in chapter 3 and verse number 1. Uh, the text says, and now these are the nations which the Lord left. I said the Lord left. He left them that he might test Israel by them. That is, all who had not known any of the wars in Canaan. You see, this new generation had not seen God in action in the wars of Canaan. They didn't see God flick the walls of Jericho down. They didn't see God destroy and pulverize Ai. They didn't see God work through Joshua to destroy the Canaanites. They didn't see that. So instead of God taking away the nations, instead of taking them away, God left them. God left people with a different language. God left people with a different culture. God left people with a different theology. God left people with a different ideology and technology. They were nothing like them, but God left them. These were people that didn't understand the Israelites. And if they had opportunity, they would have wanted to destroy the Israelites. They wanted to pulverize the Israelites, but God left them. You see? There were a difficulty, but there were also an opportunity. It's going, to get, it's going to get good in a minute. Just, just stay with me. It's going to get good. It's going to get good. You see, the great prime minister of Britain said these powerful words, and allow me to use them at this moment. He said this, a pessimist sees the difficulty in every opportunity. An optimist sees the opportunity in every difficulty. 
You see, this was a difficulty to leave the nations. But it was an opportunity for the Israelites to see how God works. They would see God work while they were facing their, their enemies. They would have a practical experience in God's ability to meet great odds in the face of little resources, uh, 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 inferior technology, and a lack of strength. You see, in a lot of ways, we are like this new generation. I haven't seen Jesus walk on water, have you? I haven't seen Jesus resurrect people from the dead, have you? I haven't seen Jesus stop a flow of blood, have you? I haven't seen it. I haven't seen a snake attach itself to the hand of Paul and him removing it and it not affecting his body. I haven't seen it, have you? You see the difficulties that are left in the face of the Israelites was his opportunity to help the Israelites see, I know what they have said about me in the past. I know what I have done in the past, but allow me to show you what I can do in the present. Allow me to show you that what I did then is not just a, a one, one time off. Allow me to show you that what I do I do it in every season, in every situation, in every country, in every life, in every family. I do it because I'm God. Nothing can stop me. And so God left the nations to give them an opportunity to see how he works. And I believe that God has left the nations around you. He has left challenges around you so that you can see how he works. My laptop is near death. All week, when I turn it on, it cuts off. I turn it on, it cuts off. I'm writing a sentence. I'm trying to read the, the word. I'm trying to prepare a sermon. It cuts off. That's frustrating. I turn it on. I turn it off. I turn it on. It, 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 it logs in. It turns off. But I, I started to smile when I was preparing this sermon. Because God started to speak life into me. He said, Henry, this challenge you're facing right now <laughs> is an opportunity for me to work in your life. Today, I'm using that same laptop and it hasn't cut off yet. I'm preaching using that laptop and it hasn't cut off yet. So let me tell you, when you're facing challenges, it doesn't make sense. You're, you're confused. You need to smile because God is going to use that challenge as an opportunity for you to see how he works. And so God leaves things around us. He leaves hostile people. He leaves difficult situations. He leaves baffling problems not to confuse us but to give us an opportunity to see how he works. That is Lord I will trust you. That is, Lord, I will see what you're going to do about this situation. I'm simply going to go with you for the ride. I'm not sure what it is, what is facing your life right now. But if it's something you don't know how to solve, it is difficult. You need to smile. Because it is an opportunity for God to work. It is an opportunity for you to see that God is not a relic of the past. God is a reality of the moment. 
You see, when you see God work in your life, what happens is this. There is a change in the, the, the language that you speak. Instead of speaking of God in the third person, you start to think to speak of God in the first person. Instead of simply saying the God, you change your language and you start to use possessive pronouns. You start to say my God. You start to say my Lord. You start to say my Jesus. He's not a Jesus of Joshua or David or some other great king. He's not a Jesus of my ancestors. He's not a Jesus of some pastor. He is my God. Why? Because I prayed for it and he answered it and he came through for me. Therefore, God is my God. It's a tragedy when God is simply God and we don't attach a personal pronoun to him. It's a tragedy when we know God informally and we don't know him personally. It's a tragedy when Jesus is not truly our friend, but he's simply some savior who died for the world. We need to get to the place of where we say, this is truly my God. And the only way we get to that place is when we see him operate in the struggles and the challenges of our life. That is why God ain't taking it away. Because he wants you to see him through those things. And for you to be able to say God is truly my God. Now, now you see, Susan, the, the, the interesting thing about this is that in order for the Israelites to see how God works is that he asked the new generation uh, to wage a holy war. Look at verse number one and two one more time. Uh, this is what God says. Now, these are the nations which the Lord left that he might test Israel by them. That is all who, had, all who had not known any of the wars in Canaan. Look at verse number two. This was only so that the generations of the children of Israel might be taught to know war, at least those who had not formerly known it. You see, war is, 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 is chaotic. When war happens, there is bloodshed. People die. There's destruction. But it's interesting here that God wants to use warfare as a means to demonstrate to his people that he is a God who is a reality of the present. He's not a relic of the past. I found that to be very strange. Now, now you see, God wasn't after war like a crazy warlord. But God was after the war because of what it would produce. Follow me. You see... In these wars that they would be fighting against the nations around them, they would see that God is able to help them when they face their enemies. They would see that God is able to bring about a change when things do not make sense. They would be able to say, wait a minute, God is truly a good God. Now, now, Stella, the, the thing about it is this. We have many kinds of wars today. We have drug wars. We have... We have cold wars, we have turf wars, we have armed conflicts, we have political wars, we have arguments, <laughs> we all get into those, we have theological debates, we have doctrinal controversies, we have all kinds of wars, but God was not asking them to wage these kind of wars, God was asking them to wage a holy war. Pastor, what is a holy war? A holy war is a war that God asks you to fight for the purposes of others knowing who he is and you glorifying 
glorifying him in your life. So God says, I want you to wage a holy war. I don't want you to wage a war that you have chosen. I don't want you to get in a controversy that you want. I want you to fight the wars that I am the one going to be directing. Let me give you examples. You see, in Egypt, when God sends the plagues on Pharaoh and he drowns Pharaoh's armies in the Red Sea, that was a holy war. When God tells the Israelites to march around a city seven times and the walls fell without them lifting up a single sword and, and slicing a single neck, that was a holy war. In other words, the Israelites were foot soldiers that were serving in the army of God. So when people heard God destroy the Egyptians and kill the people of Jericho, notice what they said. And I want to borrow the words of Rahab. One who had experienced the holy wars of God. This is found in, J in, in Joshua chapter 2. This is what Rahab is saying. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea. For when you came out of Egypt. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear. And everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. So check that. The holy wars that God had fought using Israel allowed the nations around them to see, wait a minute, there is only one God. There's only one God in heaven above and on the earth beneath. And that God is not Baal. That God is not an Egyptian God. That God is not our God. That God is Yahweh, the one who is in heaven. And so these holy wars allowed God to be magnified, allowed God to be glorified. Let me tell you something. Let me bring it closer to you. God has also called you and I to wage a holy war. Now, God is not asking us to take up weapons and, and go fight against other nations and, and take up guns and to go fight another, other nations. No, that's not the kind of war that God is asking us to fight. But allow me to tell you the kind of war that God is asking us to fight. And let me borrow Paul's words in Ephesians chapter 6, verse number 11 to number 12. This is what Paul says. Put on the whole armor of God. That, that, that sounds like war language to me. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Check this, check this. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. God is asking you and I to wage war against Satan and his empire. God is asking you and I to wage war against temptation. God is asking you and I to wage a holy war against pride, selfishness, and timidity. God is asking you and I to wage war against depression and sadness and disease. God is asking you and I to wage war against procrastination, sexual immorality, and unhealthy habits. God is asking you and I to wage war against anything against anything that is holding us back to a real deep and serious uh, relationship with him. So anything that is getting in the way of you and God, of you loving other people, of you being of better service to him, of you showing your gifts and the talents to the world for his glory, God is saying, put on my whole armor and fight, fight and fight. God is asking you and I, to wage a holy war. 
it would be helpful for us to ask ourselves a question. Is this war that I'm fighting for God or for me? Is this argument that I'm getting in for God or for me? Will this accusation achieve God's glory or my own? If I post this comment on Facebook, if I troll him, or if I post certain things, will it be for him or for me? Will this bring glory to God or not? If we're asking ourselves these questions, I believe we'll quickly understand that some of the things that we fight about, some of the things that we argue about may not really be for God. It may simply be for him. And I want you to understand that if we are truly disciples of Jesus, we are also going to follow in his, in his footsteps. We also will want to wage war against Satan and sin. And not only against Satan and sin, we want to wage war against ourselves. Because a lot of times, we are, we are our own worst enemies. We are getting in the way of ourselves. God is saying, why don't you fight against yourself? The text says we wrestle not against flesh and blood. So people are not the problem. Others are not the problem. It's, there's a higher power out there. And the devil wants to infect you so that you can be on his side. And so what you need to check is, am I actually at the right place with God? Or am I actually fighting God? Am I the problem getting in the way of God? Uh, look at Jesus' battle statement in Luke chapter 4 and verse number 18. This is what Jesus says to begin his earthly ministry. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of the sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. That's what Jesus came to do. That is to wage a holy war against anything that was getting in the way of others knowing God. He is getting in the way of others experiencing God. And, and that's what a holy war is all about. Lord, I want to get rid of anything in my life. I want to get rid of things that are holding me back so that I can truly experience you and know you better. I want you to be my God. I want you to know. I want to know you. I want to live for you. And I want to be such a blessing that those around me can also see, wait, wait a minute, there is a better life to live. There's a better place to be. There's a better attitude to have. There's a better motivation to have. There's a better, a better life to live because I'm waging a holy war. That's what this is all about. It's to glorify God in our lives, to show him that we can truly, truly experience his power. Now check this, Gun. For them to fight, for them to fight in this holy war, they needed to have skills. Ooh. They needed to have skills because they, though God was the one asking them to fight, they were the ones who needed to be on the battlefield. They would have to wear the shields. They would have to wear the helmets. They would have to hold the swords. They would have to be the ones engaging the enemy, though God was behind them. They needed skills. So if we, also go, we are also going to fight and wage holy wars, we need hard skills. So for example, God has asked you to wage a holy war against dysfunctional families. The skill that you need is counseling. So you need to go get trained. You need to go study to understand what counseling looks like so that you can work with dysfunctional families. You get what I'm saying? 
If God has asked you to wage a holy war to resolve a family dispute, uh, you will need to know how to do conflict resolution. If God is asking you to wage a holy war against procrastination, you will need the hard skill of planning. I hope you understand what I'm saying. Even though God is the one who is asking us to fight, but we cannot simply say it's a spiritual thing. God is going to do everything. No, we need to do our part to be prepared, to be skilled enough so that we can wage the holy war skillfully. And God will actually do a lot more with our skills, uh, with our skills than if we're not skilled. You understand what I'm saying? So we need to develop those skills. I don't know what skills you need. I don't know what you need to develop. But if you know that, hey, this is a problem in my life. I'm struggling with this. I need to fight against this. You need to figure out what are the skills that I need to be able to meet this fight. Because the last time that I checked, God always works with a human being in order to accomplish his purpose. God never does it alone. He always does it with us. Now, here is a problem that I need for us to really understand about skill development and, and God being on our side. Because many times when we have developed a skill, we make a separation with the trainer. I'm coming. You go to school, you learn for a certain amount of, uh, of years, you, you get a skill, you get a degree, and you go out into the real world. And let's be honest, many of us never go back to our teachers and ask them, right? We, we have learned a skill, we, we go our way. You know what I mean? We, 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 we know how to do it, so why do I need the trainer? But with God, it doesn't work like that. You have the skill, yes. But you need the trainer in order for him to make your skill powerful. So in holy war, is the understanding that my skills are one part or half the battle. But I need God's power in order for me to be successful. Without God helping my skills, whatever skills that I have, I will not succeed. And therefore, if we are to succeed with God, we need to simply say, Lord, I know what I can do. I know the skills that I have, but I am nothing without you. I cannot succeed without you. I cannot overcome without you, Lord. I know how to drive. Lord, I know how to read. Lord, I know how to serve but lord please impact my skills with your power take me over the top help me to be what i need it to be you're gonna succeed but if you make a separation between the skill and god you will succeed yeah but you're gonna fail and this is what the israelites needed to understand that while we fight we don't fight alone isn't that good news? When you're going to face somebody, you're going to do that presentation, you, you don't know how to do it, you know, you, you don't understand how to do it. You, you say, you know what, Lord, I don't, I don't get it, but you've called me to do it, I've prepared, I've studied, whatever it is, but hey, praise the Lord, you're with me. <laughs> you know, that's what gives me great joy, that when, when, I, when I stand to preach, I, I know that I'm not doing this alone. It gives me great joy that when I'm doing for God, I'm not alone. And therefore, at every step, at every moment, my skills shine out. And I'm successful, not because of what I do, but because of who is with me and what he's doing in my heart. So that's the grace of God right there. He never lets you alone. He never leaves you alone. I like what Elder Ray said in the lesson. He says, God is like air, always there. God is like air. Let me say that again. God is like air, always there. 
Every time you're breathing, that's a reminder that God is there. You don't even think about it, right? When you breathe, I don't, I don't have to think like, I don't, have, I don't have to think about that. That's just natural. You, you feel me? That's how God is in your life. That's why the spirit is, in the biblical uh, language, the word is for breath, for air. Because God is that one thing, though we may not see him, feel him, but he is always there. And that's the confidence that you and me should have when we are about to wage our holy wars. Unfortunately, though, Israel did not wage holy war. They waged an unholy war. They decided to get in bed with the enemy. Verse 5 and 6 show this. That's the children of Israel dwelt among the Canaanites. The Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Havites, the Jebusites. And check this. They took their daughters to be their wives and gave their daughters to their sons and they served their gods. How did they lay in bed with the enemy? They lived among them. Which led to intermarriage. Which ultimately led to serving their gods. <clears throat> Territorial accommodation resulted in ethnic integration, which yielded spiritual degradation. In other words, they sold out. It is hard to fight an enemy that you're in bed with because you become like that enemy. Notice, they lived among them. God left the nations. And in fact, when you look at the text carefully, is that he left them north, south, east, and west. The enemy was all over. God left the enemy, but God never said you need to live with the enemy. God never said you need to live among them. Notice God simply says, I'm going to leave them, but don't live with them. And a lot of times we, instead of just simply allowing things that God has left, we end up starting to live with those things. But just because it has been left doesn't mean you have to live with it. Just because it's there doesn't mean you need to take, to, 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 to make it a part of you. Just because you see it doesn't mean you need to embrace it. Uh, today we live with pornography, we live with drugs, we live with sexual predators, we live with alcohol. But it doesn't mean we should do those things. It doesn't mean that we should condone them. You see, we need to live by selection. You know how it is when we go into the store, whether it is Grand Lucky or Carrefour or your favorite place to shop, you don't buy everything at the mall. You go there as a selector and you're very selective. Sometimes it's because we don't have the money to buy everything. It's true. But a lot of times we buy things that we know are good for us. And we buy things that we know are going to glorify God. And therefore God wanted them to be selective. God wanted them not to uh, compromise and to, to, to socialize with the enemy in such a way that they became like them. God didn't want them to live among the enemies. Yes, God left the enemies, but he didn't want them to live with the enemy. And God has left things around you. But it don't mean just because it's there, you got to live with it. Because what happens is when you live with it, you intermarry it. And when you intermarry it, you become like it. 
it's either going to lead you away from God or you're going to serve its God. You see, when you, when, when you start to live with it, what you're simply saying is, it's okay. And many of us have that kind of uh, experience or that kind of mentality when it comes to things in our lives. I was born this way. I've always been like this. So what? The grace of God came into your life and he's calling you to a higher, to a higher purpose. And because he has come into your life, it means that he's going to give you the way for you to move from where you are to where you need to be. So you can't say, hey, I've always been a selfish person. It's just been a part of me. I can't shake this. You can't say that. You have to say, you know what, Lord? This I can't. It's there. You've left it. It's in me. It's a struggle. But I will not live with it. I will not lay in bed with it. It will not be my friend. Lord, you have given me another way. Your grace has come in. Jesus has died for me. Therefore, I'm going to allow it to move me to a higher place. But Lord, look, look, look at here. Look at here. I'm selfish. I don't know how to be, to be unselfish. That's where you need God. That's where you need to be saying, you know what, Lord, I can't win. I can't win this battle on my own. But Lord, with your power and your strength, I can. Recognizing, Lord, I can't do this. Because whatever God is asking us to be and, and to live, we cannot do that on our own. We can't win the war on our own. We're actually powerless to do that. That is why we need God's help so that he can allow us to be where we need to be. Last, last two Sabbaths, Pastor, Pastor James challenged us. I was listening to the sermons. He, he challenged us. He said, we need to dream big. And we need to embrace the power of the dream. But guess what? We cannot dream big or embrace the power of the dream if we are laying in bed with the enemy. We cannot, we cannot dream big. We cannot experience the power of the dream if we are not waging war. Because when we say, Lord, I'm dreaming for you, then we're simply saying, I'm not dreaming about these things. I've left something and I've embraced something else. And so when we're waging war, we're saying, Lord, I have made a clean break with my past. I've made a clean break with what I was. I have now fully committed and surrendered myself to you. You are my God. You are my king. I'm going to be directed by you. I'm going to live for you. And I'm going to honor you. And Lord, help me to be that because without you, I cannot be that. Perhaps your story is where you have tried to overcome the pride, but you trip up and fall. Your story is you have tried to let go of the alcohol, but you keep going back to it. And again and again, you have tried to kick off the procrastination, but you keep going back to it again and again. You have tried to save money, but you keep wasting it again and again. You have tried to, to, to do this and you have tried to do that, but you keep falling and tripping and tripping. I'm here to tell you that that's going, it's going to be like that if God is not the essence and the center. If you're not holding on to him, if you're not saying, Lord, this war, I cannot win it on my own. If you're not saying, Lord, I cannot do this without you, but I'm glad that God can give you the power. He can give you the strength because he understands you are not powerful enough. He understands that you are weak, but with him, you can stand up. With him, you can be strong. With him, he can lead you higher today. You can say, Lord, I will fight with you. I will wage my wars with you. I, I have committed to you. Today, you can do that. You can wage your wars successfully. And you can be victorious. You see, verse number, number six. No, not verse number six. Verse number four. 
uh, this, is, this is what I need you to take. And I'm landing the plane right here. Verse number four. Uh, and I want you to see that God did not want them to lay in bed with the enemy. He wanted them to, to maintain their friendship with him. In verse number four, we read, and they were left. Notice, they were left. They were left that he might test Israel by them. To know whether they would obey the commandments of the Lord, which he had commanded their fathers by the hand of Moses. You see, I want you to see something here that is just going to revolutionize your thinking about your spirituality. They were left so that God could test them so that they would know. To know whether they would obey the commandments of God. Now let's just get this out of the way. God already knew what was in their heart. And God already knows what is in our heart. God doesn't need to test us to know what's in our heart. But you know who the test was for? It was for them. God wanted to show them that this is the level of your commitment to me. This is how much you love me. And, and, and because they settled and they laid in bed with their enemies, they were simply saying, God, we don't love you enough. You are not that important to us. Yeah, you saved us. You brought us out of Egypt. Thank you. But you know what? That's not, not good enough. So the test was for them. So when you look at your life, the fact that you are unwilling to fight and, and wage war against the challenges you see in your life. The fact that you are willing to settle in where you are. You're simply saying, God, I, I really don't love Jesus enough to go up higher. I'm not that committed to this thing, you know. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not really in it. I mean, I'm in it, but I'm not really in it. You know, I, I like I can say that I'm a Christian. I like the fact that, you know, I'm, I'm a child of God. I like to, to watch sermons. I like a spiritual influence in me. But I really, 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 my core, my core, yeah, it's not that important. I have other important things to handle and take care of. So really, this test was for them. So where are you at with God today? How serious are you with God today? How important is he in your life? You show that by how willing you are to wage the wars in your life. You show that by saying, Lord, you know what? I'm going to fight. Yeah, I'm going to fight. Not alone, but I'm going to fight with you. I simply came to tell you today that if we really embrace the grace of God, it moves us and motivates us to be so committed that we're willing to fight with God we're willing to fight for God, and we're willing to fight by God. Every head is bowed, every set of eyes is closed. Father, thank you. We appreciate you for everything you are. The truth of the matter is we are not as serious and as committed to you as we need to be. And the truth of the matter is we are not as strong as we claim to be. Nor do we have the power. But Father, today we are simply saying, help us where we are weak. Help us to be strong where we are not. And Father, we want to fight and wage the wars 
that you want us to fight in our life. Please, Lord, give us the strength and the courage that we need. Father, without you, we are nothing. Without you, we cannot win. Father, into your hands, we commit ourselves and trust you to empower us. In Jesus' mighty name I pray. Amen. God bless you. I will see you very soon. Take it easy.